Hey guys. Thanks for giving me a couple minutes. I was just making mac and cheese for my kid. Um, so good evening, room one. It is just after five o'clock on Wednesday, the 24th. And I'm Jess. We're going to have some group coaching tonight. So people have already logged in and they have kindly renamed themselves, which is so awesome. This is getting funnier and funnier as people choose their own names. Um, so I'll just throw it out there. Is there anything anybody wants to talk about tonight? Um, anything they want to get coached on? I think by now everybody kind of knows the drill about either raising your hand or um, putting something in the chat to talk about. And then if we don't hear anything, I'm just going to start vomiting words at you. <laughs> um. So as people are logging on, I'll just tell you an update. I was doing this hormone replacement therapy for almost five weeks. It consisted of bioidentical estrogen patch and then progesterone for 12 days, like the latter half of the cycle. And I think there was a placebo effect in the beginning, which is um, kind of cool. I don't know that I'd ever experienced that before, but I instantly kind of felt better. And then as I got a little further along, I was like, mm, I don't know, not so much. And I'm gaining weight and very bloated, like really bloated, no clothes fitting. Um, and then I'm just starting to kind of reevaluate all of it. It's like, okay, the stuff's available. I'm only 44. I'll be 45 in October. So I think this is what's going on, but in the grand scheme of life, these are probably pretty mild symptoms and let me look at some other options. So I started doing a little research around some nutritional ways to improve your um, enterohepatic circulation. I'm an orthopedic surgeon, so this is going to come out probably not accurate, but um, for the general surgeons in the group, I'm sure you'll understand. Um, but it's my, it's my understanding that Increasing soluble fiber in the diet improves the ability to eliminate certain certain substances, including hormones that might be present in whatever levels that are not good. And then um, that just like the body sort of takes care of itself in that way. So <laughs> I've been increasing the soluble fiber by a gazillion percent. And so that's now I'm like a week and a half into that. And I, I don't know if it's the placebo effect again, but I feel freaking amazing. I mean, holy amazing pooping Batman for you colorectal ladies. Wow. 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 Who knew that soluble fiber could feel so good, but anyway, we'll see how it kind of like translates to some of these perimenopausal symptoms and I don't know. I just want to be open about it because as we age and we are kind of like in this realm of the medical system where we're always working, taking care of other people. And it's like a chore to take care of ourselves. Sometimes it's like a chore to take off of work, to go to the doctor, to get your mammogram done, to get a checkup done, but we have to do it. Like we just have to prioritize these things. And I'm, hoping that just kind of like taking people on this roller coaster ride, if they want to listen, it will help people just get curious about how to optimize things physically for yourself. Um, so I'll keep you tuned on that. 
let's see, what else can we talk about? A couple more people have joined. So if there's anything that y'all want to talk about, please just raise your hand or put something in the chat. I love the sound of my own voice so, so much that I'll just keep going forever if somebody doesn't volunteer. Um, so interestingly, I'll just kind of talk a little bit about something that's been bugging me a little bit. Um, this year, Kelly and I were trying to do something kind of different and have, um, each quarter sort of have a different theme. I don't know that that's really worked or not, um, because we're not, it's, we don't really do anything that's centered around these themes, but the first quarter was on mind. The second quarter was on body. The third quarter, which we're in now is on spirit. And then the fourth quarter is on work. And um, I think for me, just sort of on a personal level, it's kind of nice to have just something to focus on, just some kind of area of this sort of personal development stuff to focus on. But really, it's kind of hard to do one without the others because we're this really sophisticated organism where the mind, the body, the spirit is all interdependent. Um, so I'm not so sure I'm in favor of continuing that for next year, but just in the spirit of spirit, I have noticed that I'm very apprehensive about talking about spiritual things openly. Like I will talk till the cows come home on our thoughts and unconscious, conscious, the workings of the brain, the nervous system and all of that. I will talk to the ends of the earth about my high fiber diet and pooping amazing and all this other stuff. But I think the spirit stuff, I really um, get nervous about because here's what I figured. I get nervous about offending somebody because the spiritual process is so personal. And I think a lot of times people will sort of jump to religion. And I'm not saying you guys will jump to religion. I think in general, people will think that the two are interchangeable and they're really not. And so what I'm kind of thinking about is more of like actual spirit, like the soul, the essence of who you are, like the purpose for us being here on the planet, the genius that's like living inside of you at this moment that connects you to yourself and connects you to every living being and every part of the cosmos. It's like that really all encompassing energy that's moving in and around everything all the time. That's kind of how I conceptualize spirit. And that's my version of God, but I would never, ever want to, um, impose that on anybody. So I would really be interested to hear from other people about what their concept of spirit is, or do they have a spiritual life or spiritual practice? And if so, how does that impact you moment to moment? So I'm wondering if anybody wants to talk about that, anything related to spirit or even um, anything, because we don't have any volunteers yet. Thank you, Rainbow Sprinkles. 
Hi. So bad that you're sitting and talking to yourself, Jess. Thank you. <laughs> oh my God. I can only see myself too, which is super weird. <laughs> uh, so I don't really have anything I want to be coached on, but I did have a super fun, not really fun interaction in the OR the other day, um, which okay. I should probably want to be coached on. Um, okay. And your question of spirituality, I think, is a very interesting one. And I totally feel you and I completely respect the fact that you are uninterested in imposing your own beliefs on anybody. Um, and, I, and I do think that's a touchy subject. Uh, I personally was raised uh, going to a Catholic school and do not practice Catholicism. Uh, and But I am very active in the folk dance and music community. Mm-hmm. And I remember one time in medical school, I was dead tired and I dragged my ass out to the dance and I, and it was like in the middle of winter and freezing cold and it's slushy and nasty. And I walked into the dance hall and all of a sudden I thought, this is why people go to church mm-hmm. because it's a community of people community of like-minded people yeah where you feel welcome and at home and even if you're dead tired you go Mm -hmm. and it lifts you up and I will never forget that moment and it's always struck me uh now when I'm with those groups of people and doing those kinds of activities like and it it allowed me to understand people who go to church Mm -hmm. Because I was raised in that and I very consciously turned away from it. Uh, but yeah, just having that experience and recognizing like we do, we all need community and and doesn't really matter how, how or where you find that. Yeah. And um, the, you know, nature is my spirituality, but uh, the folk community is my, is my church community. I think that's amazing. And to be so open and flexible to consider that, um, because so many of us, like, like you, I was raised in the Catholic church and while it wasn't necessarily a requirement, my parents weren't, um, they weren't, you know, what's the word? They weren't apologists or anything. They weren't like forcing me to go, but there's a certain level of indoctrination that happens. And, um, I do appreciate some of the rituals and all that stuff, but I just, I don't know. To me, there just seems to be like a bigger story than just Catholicism or a bigger story than any one thing. And that I learned at Catholic college because I ended up going (laughs) to Catholic college, but it was an Ignatius, you know, St. Ignatius, it was St. Louis university. So it was an Ignatian kind of an education. And that's where I was like, Oh wait, like the world is so big. Yeah. It's just so big. So anyway, I love that you have been able to develop this flexibility to be able to come out of the sort of the more, you know, Catholicism, I think is notorious for indoctrination as I'm sure many named religions are. And there's nothing wrong with that. Like, I'm really not trying to be like, um, um, you know, abrasive about it, but I'm just saying like, when we're trying to facilitate these discussions on, you know, 
there's real science behind spiritual practice, improving mm-hmm. one's well-being. Mm-hmm. And then to then speak to somebody like you who was like, yeah, I found this and this is where I found it. And you're right. Like that's a, that's it. It's like that to me, like tunes into more of the essence of who you are. If you're connecting with people in um, folk music and um, those, you know, that sort of a community, you know, like that's pretty specific. <laughs> They're just an all around pretty good group of people really. Yeah. But uh... Yeah. I love it. Well, thank you yeah. for sharing that. And hopefully, you know, you sharing that will just in, in, as people listen, just will encourage people to reflect on, okay, well, where is, what is my essence? What is my spirit? What's important to me? And uh, I'm not saying anybody has to do it, but I just want yeah. an invitation to, I don't know, like expand a little bit. So, okay. What happened in the OR? Oh God. <laughs> oh my God. Okay. I don't know how much should I preface love the, the person with whom I had the interaction. Um, so I'll tell you about this guy. So one of our anesthesiologists lives apparently across the street from the hospital. I don't know where he lives, but that's what everybody says. And he's notorious for always being late. Um, and so, you know, we have late starts and people always blame the surgeons, but like literally like you can't find the anesthesiologist. Yeah. Then one day, uh, I had a first start and he was actually there and he says, Oh, I'm ready. Do you want to start early? I said, great. We got in the OR at a very quick, basically cast change on a kid. Mm-hmm. And I was essentially done with the case. All I needed to do was put the cast back on before my assistant even showed up. Right. Uh huh. So I said, here, hold the arm. I got to put the cast on. And this anesthesiologist looks across the drape and says something like, what, you're not going to let him do anything more important than that because he was late? And I thought, okay, I don't need to fan those flames. It has nothing to do with his being late, whatever. And I just said, I just kind of tried to make light of it. And I go, well, you know, you'd be hard pressed to find anybody who can put a better cast on than I can. Mm -hmm. Um, And he, and then he responded with something. It was not said in a kindly manner, like, and I'm, paraphrasing because I just don't remember exactly what he said but he said something like who do you think you are to think so highly of yourself or like how dare you speak so highly of yourself like it was it was offensive Jeez. <laughs> and I just let it go and honestly I had even forgotten exactly who it was who had said it okay so that mm-hmm. was several months ago that this happened okay. so fast forward this week okay Sitting in the pre-op area, I am talking to an Amish father. Mm -hmm. I'm going through the consent form. And these people pay out of pocket. It's a pain in the ass for them to get to the hospital. They don't drive. It's a big deal for them to agree to surgery. I don't take it lightly. Yeah, I'm sitting there going through the consent form with this Amish father. And this anesthesiologist comes up and literally takes the folder out from under the consent form that I'm using as my surface to write on. And I kind of looked at him like, what are you doing? Mm -hmm. And I think he realized. And so he grabs the clipboard and he hands it back to me and he took his consent form and, you know, fine, move on. Uh, 
then I was done with my part and he comes up and he clearly doesn't know the kid's name, clearly doesn't know anything about the kid and starts talking to them. And I say, the kid's three years old, by the way. Mm -hmm. And I say, oh, he doesn't really speak English. And so the anesthesiologist immediately jumps to, oh my God, well, then we're going to have to have the dad come in the OR so that he can translate for us. And so the kid understands what's going on. And I'm like, what? And I go, well, I would really rather the parents, you know, we generally don't take the parents back. And he goes, oh, believe me, I don't like the parents coming back either. And he's he's being like kind of aggressive. Yeah. And I'm thinking, Jesus, English speaking kids don't understand what's going on. Like, mm-hmm. it's not really going to be that different putting the kid to sleep. And this kid was so chill. He was like the chillest three-year-old you'll ever meet. And I'm like, I don't think it's going to be a problem. Because, of course, I had met him in clinic and, you know. Yeah. Um. So, uh, and I was watching the dad body line. And the dad kept trying to say, you know, that his son understands more English than he's able to speak. Mm-hmm. And I was watching the dad's body language and I was getting the sense, like, I don't, I don't think the dad wants to go into the OR. Yeah. And so I said, gosh, dad, do you have any strong preference one way or the other? Uh-huh. And the anesthesiologist says, I will finish having the conversation with the family. And I'm like, okay. So I walked away. <laughs> it's uh, And then it's, they, he comes. Go ahead. Well, I'm just like really curious about this guy's behavior because I have um, like concerns about his well-being. <laughs> like, is he okay? This well, the story gets better, Jess. Oh, okay, cool. Keep going. <laughs> so... I go back to the OR. They come, they bring the kid to the OR without the dad. Mm-hmm. Fine. I don't say anything. And he corners me. He basically backs me up against the OR table and starts lecturing me on, don't you ever disagree with the anesthesiologist in front of the family because that creates discord and the family won't trust us if they see us disagreeing. And besides, whether or not the the family comes in, that is an anesthesia anesthesia decision, not a surgical decision. I don't tell you how to do your job. And on and on and on and on. Mm. Uh, And I was just like, oh, my God. And And I said, I don't ever tell anesthesia how to do your job. I'm perfectly happy to have a conversation. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he kept like talking over me and then he called me, I know this is supposed to be anonymous, but he called me a version of my name that is diminutive mm-hmm. and I do not use it. Yeah. And at that point I looked at him and said, that is not my name ever. Mm-hmm. And that sort of like shook him. And he, I think that kind of woke him up like, oh, I'm being a little inappropriate. Um. And at some point he goes, he goes, do you know about blah, 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 blah? And it had nothing to do with patient care. And I just ignored it. And mm-hmm. then he goes, he says my name. Do you know about blah, 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 blah? And I just ignore him. And he does it again. And I finally said, no. And so then he proceeds to tell me about something or other, blah, 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 where you have the right to just stand there and talk about whatever you want to talk about for three minutes or something like that. I'm just like, whatever, dude. And I just like kind of stopped talking to him. Um, Then got to the end of the case 
and I'm putting the cast on and he looks over the drapes and he goes, oh, gee, you are pretty good at that. And I was like, oh, you're the asshole who said that to me the other time. Mm. Oh, so like, (laughs) then you remembered. Oh, my goodness. Wowie, wow, wow. So, I mean, with a sound in your voice, it sounds like you're okay. (laughs) Well, you're okay. You know, I, I happened to be talking to my boss that afternoon anyway. Mm -hmm. And I said, can I tell you about something that happened in the OR? And he says, yeah, sure. And so we talked briefly. And what I learned from my boss is that this guy treats all the surgeons like that. Like I, but I was like, does he just not like women surgeons? Mm-hmm. But no, my boss, he, apparently he like puts his head over the <laughs> drape and says stupid shit to my boss and like comments on how he's doing the case. And, um, and then my boss said, uh, why don't you write it up and send it to me mm-hmm. and we'll decide what we're going to do with it later. So I did. Yeah. And the next day my boss called me and he goes, oh my God, I read it. And then I read it again. And I was just getting madder and madder for you. <laughs> and my boss was just like beside himself that he called me this diminutive form of my name. Mm-hmm. You know, like he's like, yeah. I know better than to call you that. For <laughs> Anyway, so my boss is just, you know, super supportive. And it made me feel a lot better to hear that, like, he treats my boss that way. And he says kind of totally inappropriate stuff to my boss. Yeah, and, I, I mean, this I think is going to be helpful for our group in an interesting and different way than sometimes when we talk about these things, because like sometimes people come with a story like this where they're really struggling with what they're making it mean about them, mm-hmm. right? Like they're like taking all that garbage inside their own home and letting it fester and, and, and cuddling up next to it, like a whoopee. And that's when it really does damage inside of one's own sort of experience. But you, the way you sound and and I think I'm reading you right, but you can correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like you are not allowing that to happen for yourself. Like you recognize this as him and his shit that he's doing and that it doesn't belong to you. It's, it's something he's projecting onto you, but you're not making it mean anything about you. Is that fair? Uh, I, you're very generous and I appreciate that. I will admit that I was steaming in the mm-hmm. OR and I really don't want to admit that I might not have done the case as well as I would have otherwise. I just wanted to get it done and get out of there. Yeah. I mean, I completely understand. And that, um, so that I'm curious about that actually, because it's like one thing to get mad appropriately, right? Like we don't have to all be, um, these enlightened beings that just, (laughs) <laughs> don't get mad at yeah. beings that deserve getting mad at, you know, but like, is it something that like you make it mean about you that there's something wrong with you or are you just mad that he's an asshole? Yeah. I was just mad that he was an asshole. And I, and, and to that, honestly, so a couple things, like, I think, uh, I do have an Irish temper and I was really proud of myself that I just shut my mouth and didn't come back with like anything super snarky that yeah. I was going to re- regret later. <laughs> yeah. But I'm, 
but I'm not proud of my, like, but the kids now asleep in the operating room. I can't go take a minute to calm down. Yeah. Or I didn't, maybe I can, but you know, that would be the one thing that in hindsight, like I'm really not proud of myself. Cause I was, I was pissed and I just wanted out of, I just wanted out of there. And yeah. I don't think I did the case as well as I could have. Well, I, I mean, we don't know that like that. Maybe that's true. Maybe not. But um, I don't know. This is kind of an interesting point to talk about because I think we often face these situations where we are, you know, like involved in some kind of a conflict or confrontation. And, you know, I know for me, like I get really upset quickly and I'll cry and I'll, um, you know, feel very embarrassed and all that other stuff. And I'm like, okay, well, maybe the real lesson here is that people can be mad. Like they can own that. They can deserve to feel mad when somebody's talked to them in that way, you know? Yeah. But like, I guess the nuances and, um, you know, you, you let me know. It's like, okay, this guy is doing his thing and saying these words. And the difference is like, what an asshole. And you're so mad. And that leads to actions right in the model, or it's like, I must, the, the, but the other alternative is like, I must be do I must be doing something wrong. This must be my fault in some way. And then that, can create anger as well or frustration or whatever. Right, right. Shame. And that leads to actions. And maybe the actions are actually the same, but it's like the fuel and the thoughts. One seems healthy and one seems not healthy. You know, like yeah. healthy, mad, this guy's an asshole. I don't want to be here. I want to get myself out of here versus. Right. The, you know, not as healthy or, you know, um, in tune with one's, own like having one's own back and it's like there must be something wrong with me that he's talking like this like this must be my fault in some way so I'm hoping that people will listen back to this and really like see how not every negative emotion has to mean that like there's something wrong with us or that like something has gone wrong and but actually the opposite is true like we deserve to be mad when things are happening that yeah somebody mad i i have to admit that i didn't like consciously like go through a model or something but i would say that my experiences with coaching probably did help me not, not take that personally mm-hmm. you're that's saying good. that we did yeah yeah yeah, yeah that's then- why i was like i hesitated to bring it up because i'm like i don't really feel like i need to be coached on it it was just you know a story that most of us can probably <laughs> relate to i was just oh. like you know, I mean, he physically cornered me against the OR table and stood there and lectured me. And he was speaking to me like I was a naughty six-year-old. Yeah. And so the, like, to me, there's like also another question to answer here, which I feel like is something we all kind of face, which is this team idea of being in the OR. And sometimes you don't have a choice over who your anesthesiologist is. Right. And when we are not all jiving 
this is, this is my opinion. So just take it as an opinion and not as anything more than an opinion. But I think that the healthier that all of us are on the team, the safer surgery will be yep. for everybody and most yep. importantly the patient. And so this brings me to this like idea of the disruptive physician, because I believe everything that you're telling me about this dude and what he says and does. And I wonder, is he okay? And that's a great point. Yeah. In my own hospital, we had an issue with a disruptive physician and I uh, was like, well, what do we do? Like, what do we do? And the disruptive physician basically gets, um, you know, I think it's institutionally dependent, but I think, you know, a disruptive physician can get reprimanded or get sent for, you know, uh, whatever kind of, um, you know, I don't know what I'm trying to say, like a 360 review or something like that. But I wonder why the first question that isn't asked is, are you okay? Right. Yeah, that's a good point. I, I have learned over the years to try to make a point of saying that. And I'll, Mm -hmm. I had another incident with an anesthesiologist. I walked into the room one morning and it was clear that he was just pissed. Mm Mm-hmm. And I said, good morning or whatever. And he, you know, he was, he was mad. And I said, you okay? And he kind of grumbled. And I said, is there anything I can do for you? Mm-hmm. And he said, no. And then he sort of told me a little bit what he was pissed about. And I said, okay. And I said, well, let me know if there's anything I can do for you. And we did the case that day and and that was fine. But what I've noticed since then is he is always very, very nice and collegial to me and pleasant. Mm -hmm. And I now actually look forward to working with him. And I really think it made a difference that my reaction to him that day was, are you okay? Yeah. Yeah. And um, I think it's like, it's awesome to ask people that question. And I do it all the time, but I also like feel like I... I don't know what actually to do if somebody would say, no, no. <laughs> no I'm not okay. I bet you, right I now. bet you would know. You would I know. Think, I think probably, but like, I don't even know if there's, um, you know, some sort of a pathway within our own. So here, this is, I don't know. I'm kind of getting off topic here, but maybe it's a little related. We have a timeout and yeah. You know, patient name, identification, fire risk, consent, blah, 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 blah. And at the end, it's you, the surgeon states, does anybody have any safety concerns? If so, I expect you to speak up. I absolutely hate that language. Oh, God. <laughs> um, so anyway, but my question after that is, okay, so say somebody does have a safety concern. Right. And the disruptive person is the surgeon and not listening. This actually happened. And the anesthesiologist is now the one, like, I think we need to stop and the surgeon's oh, not God. listening. And it's like, what do you do? Oh Somebody God. Speaking up, but what do you do? And there, there isn't like a protocol. Yeah. So they call help and all that stuff, but it's not really outlined. And I was really shocked at that. And so that kind of like circling back to like asking somebody if they're okay. Okay. Like to say they're not okay. Then what, what's next? Um, I don't know. I just think it's good to open up the discussion and talk about it. And 
understand that when these people, these assholes, like maybe they're just an asshole. I don't know. Right. Uh, or maybe the guy's in crisis or any shade in between those. Yeah. Two. I do wonder uh, watching him that day, he had a CRNA with him and I'm not sure that he was confident in his skill. I don't know if he was, if he doesn't like doing, ki- I don't know. Anyway, that's well, here. I mean, obviously, right. Like the way he is so defensive and the yeah. conversation around the kid not speaking English and the dad coming in and all that other stuff like that screams insecurity. Yeah. 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 That's a good point. Um, Can I tell you another story about having a right to be upset? <laughs> yes. yes. Somebody else, please raise your hand. I if mean, anybody oh. else wants to go, because we'll just keep chatting. But just raise your hand. <laughs> so here's another one that I bet people can relate to. So a couple weeks ago, I'm in clinic and the doctor's desks, it's terrible. We are sitting in a patient hallway. We are sitting there working on our EMR in a patient hallway, they're walking by to other rooms, whatever. So it's not private in any way, shape or form, but you know, you're sitting there and you sort of feel alone. I don't know. I, you know, I'm focused on what I'm doing Mm -hmm. and I had a post-operative patient coming back and the family thought that it had been a good idea a week after doing foot surgery with pins sticking out of her feet to go to the water park (laughs) and her casts, had gotten wet, both feet. Mm-hmm. And so they had gone to some ED out of state where they took the cast off and put her in some something. I have like no idea what I'm going to walk into. And I was like, I was really upset. I'm like, why did they do that? What am I walking into? Oh my God, please don't let her feet be infected. Mm-hmm. Why didn't they just delay surgery until after their effing vacation? <laughs> right? And I was... I was like worked up. I was getting myself all worked up, right? Mm-hmm. I go in, her feet were maybe a little bit infected. It ended up being okay. Mm-hmm. And I come back out and I'm back at my desk and the nurse manager comes up to me and she says, um, I understand there's some tension back here this afternoon. And I'm like, what? <laughs> Where'd that come from? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I talked to the nurses who were working with me that day. They're like, we didn't say anything. They were busy. Mm-hmm. And so all we can think is that like somebody was walking through the hallway and tattled on me because I was stressed out. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to say, F you. I have a right to be stressed out. I was like in my own little personal bubble yes Mm -hmm. it's in a hallway you know what I mean yeah and the more I think about it the more pissed off I get like who somebody tattled that that I was upset (laughs) I was like yes there was some tension yes (laughs) yes there was (laughs) yes 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 and so what'd she say I don't know. She just kind of blew it all out of proportion. And then one of the other docs who was sitting in that hallway, like he makes it about himself and he starts bitching that the nurses aren't available to help him do this and that, whatever. (laughs) It sounds like he has attention too. (laughs) Yeah. And the nurses hate him anyway. You know, I'm like, yeah, 
so somehow I got wrapped up into that. And then somebody talked to my boss and so my boss had to ask me about it. And I told him, I'm like, uh, yes, I would. There was some tension. I was really afraid of what I was going to walk into with this little girl's feet. And he was just laughing. He's like, okay, I get it. Not a problem. <laughs> yeah. It's funny. Like <laughs> it's funny, not funny. Oh my God. It's funny, not funny that, um, I think sometimes we're held to this standard. It's like almost, superhuman robotic type standard as if you're not allowed to ever have a human emotion. Right. And if you do have a human emotion, you don't deserve to have that human emotion. And we need to send a nurse manager down to investigate. Right. And it's like, Oh Lord have mercy. But like how much nicer would it have been for somebody to just come by and go, Hey, are you okay? Right. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Like, gosh, you guys have to deal with a lot. You have a lot of responsibility. Yeah. You know? Yeah, anyway. it would be nice. And so that can inform us for how we react, I guess, to other people. Um, and Which is not easy. You know, not always, yeah. It can be really tough sometimes. I've definitely gotten better at it over the years. And... Sometimes even like if like in the moment, I don't think to say, are you okay? Sometimes I'll go back to someone and say, hey, uh, you know, I wasn't comfortable with, you know, how we left it this morning or whatever. And I just wanted to double check, you know, are are you okay? You just wanted to, you know. Yeah. Anything I can do for you? Yeah. This is juicy, Rainbow Sprinkles, because you're bringing <laughs> up all kinds of wisdom. You know, <laughs> it's funny. We are such linear people, but we can always circle back. And I would just like to offer too, that we can circle back for ourselves. Hmm. A lot of us spend a lot of time beating ourselves up and then we never circle back. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Um, So we can definitely do that for ourselves as well. And it's like, yeah, like after the fact, you can kind of do a little debrief with yourself. Like, gosh, sometimes this job really gets to me and sometimes, um, is, you know, for as much as I really want to like do everything in my power to have things go perfectly, it's just not going to sometimes because people are going to go to the water park with pins in their feet. (laughs) Oh my God. Who does that? People all the (sighs) time. So, I mean, it's just great. It's great what you're bringing up because it's like, yes, I think the, I think the kind of the grand theme of these stories that you're telling this evening are we deserve our emotions. We can own them. We can, it doesn't have to mean anything about us that we are somehow flawed or not worthy or not good enough or anything. We can just have these human emotions because that's what people do. And then what's even cooler is like allowing yourself that emotion and then seeing what that emotion is actually telling you about you. Like it's telling you something about what you value. It's telling you something about what you need or what you want. And I don't know, that's just, it's such good information. So I hope everybody listening to this will (laughs) just you know, reconsider next time you have an emotion that's not the most pleasant emotion and just be like, okay, well, yeah, like I can own this emotion. It's nothing bad is happening. 
nothing's gone wrong and there's nothing wrong with me. I'm still worthy. I'm still, you know, like you can love yourself in the face of unpleasant emotions. That was awesome. Rainbow sparkles. <laughs> um, an eventful week or two. Yeah. I wonder if anybody else has anything they'd like to talk about. Um, and we have a few more people that joined, so I'm just going to start renaming. If you haven't already, let's make up stuff. Let's see. Um, and then while I do that, if anybody has anything to talk about, that would be great. Somebody else tell some an- in some amusing <laughs> anecdotes from your week. <laughs> yeah. And you know what's so great about that is, um, you know, not every coaching has to be like this deep dive into the model. Sometimes it's just a conversation. Sometimes it's just like, you know, kind of human connection. Um, Which is nice. Yeah. I'm going to rename people mountains and I hope I'm spelling them correctly. <laughs> oh, Olympus has something. So I'm going to um, put rainbow yep. disable talking and then do, oops, let's do Olympus. Okay. All righty, Olympus, how you doing? Good. How are you? Super. Um, you. I don't really have amusing antidotes, but I do have something else. <laughs> I can you help me think of a mountain? I used Olympus and Rainier and uh, K two. We'll do K two. There we go. Okay. Isn't K two a welcome. mountain? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. What's going on? Um. So can we talk about manuals? Because that's like the yeah. theory of recurring theme for me. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. Let's talk um, about okay. <laughs> so, um, my husband definitely, so he does things differently than me. Right. So he, um, is not very careful with his stuff and he, um, often ruins it and then <laughs> has to like go buy new stuff and then it's not there when we want it and blah, blah, blah. Right. Mm -hmm. Whereas I'm completely the opposite. I'm like, well, if we take care of it, then it lasts. And then, you know, we're not wasting and whatever, you know, and Mm -hmm. then it's there when I need it. I know, you know what I mean? So, and this over and over drives me crazy. And so some of the thought work I've done is, well, his way of doing it is not wrong because before I definitely thought it was wrong. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It was right. You know? Yeah. Um, but it still really bothers me. And um, partly because our stuff is shared, you know, mm, some of it. Mm, yeah. And um, and I don't want to just have to be like, well, we have to just own two of everything so that he can destroy what he wants to. And <laughs> you know what I mean? I do. So I, I find, and, it, and it's and it's it's not just at the home, but it's a it's a good it's a good example of when like there's shared space and shared stuff. Like it's compromising with, I know their way is not wrong and mine's not necessarily right, but yeah, I haven't sat down and, but it still bothers me is what I'm saying. Okay. I have a couple questions. Hopefully you can help us paint just a little bit of a broader picture. Um, have you talked to him about this? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And then next is there some kind of a specific example that you could give, like, especially for something that's shared? Okay. Just for example, this is something mm-hmm. little today. This happened. This is my, so I, he took the hose and instead of winding it up and hanging it up, he just, just like 
shoved in the corner. So I had multiple kinks in it and had oh. been sitting there for a couple of days. Mm-hmm. And so now it's like all bent and not really usable. And one of them starting to break in one of the kinks, you know, cause you're not yeah. supposed to kink a hose, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. That's why they make I those mean, kinky example. hoses. Yeah. I know. I know. Yeah. I mean, we could buy a different hose, but the point is more just, you know, this is a theme across. Yeah. And so when you talk to him, what does that look like? Um, right. So that's where, um, you know, coaching has helped because before I would just assume that everybody should function the way I do and, and should mm-hmm. know what my manual is. But now I realize that's not true. Um, so I've talked to him about why. I like to take care of stuff because I don't like to waste, uh-huh. you know, I really hate just throwing stuff away and that, um, and also then it helps like knowing that when I need something, it's going to be there and be working, you yeah. know? Yeah. And, and so I've definitely talked about that and he says he understands, but then when it comes to, but it doesn't necessarily change his actions. Mm-hmm. So Yeah. So let me ask you this. Did you set up a boundary around any of these items with him? Like that he can't use them, you mean? No. So this is a great opportunity to talk about boundaries because the manual, um, I'll just kind of talk about a little bit for people who might be newer to the idea of the manual. So we all have these manuals that are in our brains that are our expectations for how we think other people should behave. And often they don't know what the manual actually is that we have for them and vice versa. They have manuals for how they think we should behave. And then finally, we also have manuals for ourselves and how we think ourselves should behave. So we have manuals at play all the time. When you're dealing with another human and you have it, so we'll just say just for this illustration of this particular um, example, like the, your manual is, um, when somebody uses a hose, they should, uh, put it away properly coiled without kinks. Is that Mm -hmm. fair? So whether it's him or a kid or a neighbor or whomever, like that's your manual. When somebody uses the hose, this is the way they should put the hose away. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, when it comes time to man, like we all know that we can't really control what other people do. And so as much as we try and would want to, it's pretty futile and we can't really change what they're going to do. They have to kind of do that with through their own thought, feeling, action, result. But what you can do is set up a boundary. So my favorite example of this is the smoking in the car, because I find this extremely clear. So say you have a manual that you don't think people should smoke in the car and you're riding in the car and somebody who's whoever's driving whips out the, you know, somebody in the car, you're not driving, you're riding in the car, somebody starts smoking and you say, I prefer to ride in the car without cigarette smoke. And then you have to set up a consequence. So if you're not willing or able to put out your cigarette, I need you to pull over and let me out of the car. So there has to be like a consequence, like, mm-hmm. um, and then you have to follow through on the consequence if the person doesn't, doesn't um, respect the boundaries. So the idea of the boundary is, is it's for you, not for the other person. Sorry, then my window's open and my dogs are going crazy. Hang on just a second. 
um, hope, hopefully there's not going to be like Daga get Daga 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 Palooza or whatever I'm trying to say. Okay, <laughs> right. so the boundary is for you, not for the other person. And I think where we get into trouble is is we'll think we set up a boundary and we'll have a consequence, but then we won't follow through on the consequence. And so then the person that we're dealing with, like never, um, there's like no track record of respecting the boundary and you not you but the person setting up the boundary also doesn't set respect the boundary if you don't follow through on the consequence so that being said is there any way that you can conceive of creating a boundary for your sake not for your husband for your sake because this clearly you it bothers you and if it bothers you like we don't need to gaslight you and tell you that you need to like stop letting it bother you like, yeah, it just yeah, bother so, you. <laughs> no, that's a good point. Boundaries are definitely something I'm still working on and practicing. <laughs> um, yeah, they're hard. I mean, we don't have much practice at it in general. So, so sorry, for the, like for the car example, the first thing I think is like, well, if they pull over and let me out of the car, like, how am I going to get home? Where am I going to do? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I use that example as the one, um, it's because you're the one who is gonna like you're not saying the other person has to get out of the car you're not saying you're not saying they have to stop smoking you're just saying that you would really appreciate it if they didn't and if they don't here's what I'm gonna do so in this example of a hose it's like a hypothetical boundary could be I would really appreciate it if you, when you use the hose, you coil it up without kinks. And if you don't, then I'm going to do X, Y, or Z. Mm -hmm. And then whatever makes sense for you. Because the boundary, again, I'm saying this over and over for people who will be listening back to this. It's like the boundary is supposed to be set up for your sake, not for the other person. Right. So I wonder, yeah, what would like feel good to you as a boundary? Here's another example. Oh, did you come up with something? Well, like I kind of mentioned it earlier, like I could have my own hose, you know, and you can't use that one. Maybe. Um, Yeah. Like if you're unable to maintain this hose, then I'm going to get a hose that you will not be permitted to touch. I mean, it sounds like kind of silly the way I just said that, but that's, I'm trying to be super clear. So when people learn kind of the, the um, moving parts of a functioning boundary, you know, mm-hmm. you know what it is. So another, I love that. And so another example is say, say your mom comes over all the time without calling ahead. Mm-hmm. My dad does this to my brother. I live 2000 miles away, so <laughs> <laughs> not possible, but say, you know, the parent comes over all the time unannounced without calling ahead. And that really, really drives somebody crazy. So they might say, I would really appreciate it if you called ahead because it's not always good timing. Sometimes the kids are napping. Sometimes I have stuff going on. Um, You know, you don't need to be wasting a trip and all this other stuff. So I really appreciate it if you called ahead so that we could confirm whether or not it's a good time for you to come over. And if you don't, I'm not going to answer the door if it's not a good time for me. 
I've heard that example given as a boundary too. I mean, think about how tough that would be when your parent Mm -hmm. comes over or whomever comes over and you're like, well, I'm just not going to answer the door. But then you told them and that's your, you know, for your sake, you are going to set up this boundary in a consequence and that's what you're going to do and you'll follow through. And as long as it's communicated ahead of time, then, um, then it's up to everybody involved to respect the boundary. So, you know, maybe it's getting your own hose or I'm sure you could get creative about thinking of all kinds of different stuff Mm -hmm. that you would feel comfortable with, that you can live with because it doesn't require him to change because we know he's not going to anyway. And then you also get to win because, you know, then you'll have your um, items that are not affected by kinks. Right. (laughs) (laughs) I think, I think one key point that came up for me there too, is um, taking the time to think up that clear boundary and like, instead of just being irritated by it over and over again. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And that will really, really help you determine what's important to you. Because it's one Mm -hmm. thing to just be irritated just because it's super annoying. I'm like, we're human beings. We get super annoyed by stuff all the time. Yeah. But that will help you kind of discern like what is really truly at stake, what's really important. And if it's really something that's important to you, then there's the boundary and you guys can both respect the boundary and he may or may not, but then you have to be the one that holds the consequence. And um, it's, I think the hardest part is, as I look at it is actually communicating to another human being that you've set up a boundary Because what that really says is you are having your own back. You are taking yourself seriously in this thing in your life that is important to you. And you're, it's like literally you're putting this ring around it of protection because it's important to you. And so Mm -hmm. you are going to step into that and really uphold that because you have your own back. Um, It's, I think for those of us who are, you know, people pleasers and not really practiced at setting up boundaries can be pretty challenging to talk to another human being and say, you know, this is really important to me. I would appreciate it, blah, blah, blah. And if you don't, if you're unable to do that, like you don't have to be a butthole about it, but like, you know, if you're on, if you're unable to, you know, manage with this boundary, then I'm going to do this. In as loving and compassionate a way possible. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Actually, so you that, don't have to be loving or compassionate. I just added that in for myself. <laughs> I, th- I think it does help though. Um, and I in and the whole boundary thing does come from, you know, the people pleasing aspect mm-hmm. makes it extremely difficult. And just the way we were raised and indoctrinated to that setting boundaries is somehow disrespectful or selfish, you know? Right. But I don't think that it is. And right. It really, um, and also then your kids are going to learn how to set up healthy boundaries as well, which I love the idea that they could passively learn from your example that you set. Yeah. So no, that's, that's, that does help clarify things. Cause I think I've gotten better at realizing when it's a manual and sharing my manual, but I didn't link to then set boundaries around that. Yeah. 
So interesting point, like sharing your manual, like actually having that conversation with somebody, which is super fun and fascinating sometimes to be like, you know what, like I had this list of expectations and I can see how silly that sounds, but I'm sure you have this list of expectations for how you think I should be. And then mm-hmm. to actually see what the two who are thinking about each other is kind of, it can be kind of fun and eye-opening. And then it's like, okay, well, I'm totally willing to bend in these other areas or I'm not. And if people aren't willing to bend on either side, then that's where the boundaries come in. So. Right. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> And then enforcing them. <laughs> That's right. It's the, yeah, exactly. The conversation ahead of time and then the reinfor- the the enforcing is really, really important. But I think, mm-hmm. too, like if you think about it, when we people please and we're just kind of like capitulating to what other people, other people's kind of behavior, we're, we're literally not showing up as our authentic self. We're showing right. up as this person who's like not really who we are. And that's not fair to you or the other person that you're in relationship with. So I do think, I mean, I'm no relationship coach, but I do think um, from what I have read and studied and learned from other relationship coaches is that the stronger the boundaries there are, the the better things could potentially be because then you're really like authentically living as you, like you really have like a truer relationship with somebody when you're presenting with that kind of really in tune, intact, true version of yourself, not the person who's like basically lying because, you know, you're doing stuff that you don't want or like, not you, but like people in general, you know? Oh, I, I do it. You could say you. <laughs> <laughs> that was super good. I'm so happy you brought that to the group. Um, hopefully that'll generate some thought and discussions around manuals and boundaries for people. So, well, is there anything else you wanted to add or talk about before we go for the night? No, I think that's good. Thanks. Awesome. You're welcome. Okay, guys, we're at six o'clock and I hope you all have a good rest of your week. See you next time. Bye. Bye.